0: Welcome back to the DealMakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, St. Gaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencasters. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencasters Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, via Sencaster, you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to send.ai forward slash dealmakers one, and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So I'm very excited about the guest that we have today. I mean, she's uh, right now building this rocket ship. So we're going to be learning quite a bit about building, scaling, financing. Uh, she's been around the world too. So I think that that definitely gives a lot of perspective. And I'm, and I'm sure that many of you are going to get inspired with her story. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Any Lim. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, nice to meet you. Thanks for having me.
0: So originally born in Malaysia, and uh, you went uh, to Montreal early on, you know, around five years old. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up?
1: Uh, Well, I grew up in Malaysia, and I was only there till the age of five until my dad decided to move us and our entire family to North America, specifically in Montreal, Quebec, um, because he wanted better opportunity for us. And he also really loved the snow. So I think that's why he wanted to move our family. And I don't I vaguely remember um, growing up and until the age of five when I was in Malaysia. But I do remember, you know, growing up in in Montreal, it was a very different environment and I had to get adjusted really fast.
0: So you went to Miguel uh, there, uh, the university and you studied a combination of marketing and finance. So Why that combination? What got you into that combination?
1: Well, to be honest, you know, when you're at that age, um, you don't really know what you're going to do. So (laughs) I tried to pick something that was fairly broad and useful, hoping that it'd be useful um, eventually. I have to say marketing, unfortunately, uh, did not become useful over time because the landscape has changed so much. So nothing that I learned is relevant today. But of course, the basics of like finances and um, that was, I always felt like that was
0: important. That's amazing. Now, in your case, after uh, graduating, I mean, you spent a little bit of time there in the corporate world in in Montreal, but you decided to also pack the bags and, and go around Asia a little bit. So so what triggered that? Why, why did you decide to go back and over to Asia?
1: You know, I was in a very comfortable job. And so when you get sometimes too comfortable, I needed to experience something different. And moving to Hong Kong, it was my decision at that time. I didn't know anyone there. I didn't know what I was going to do there. But I just decided I just needed a change of um, pace. It, of course, like freaked out my parents. But I always loved taking risks growing up. And I think my parents knew that at a very young age, uh, when I was a very young age. So I just kind of picked up my bags and uh, moved to Asia, and it was the best decision I've ever made.
0: And I mean, you you've traveled quite a bit. I mean, Montreal, uh, Hong Kong, San Francisco, now Los Angeles. How do you think that being in so many different places? How do you think that that has opened a bit your perspective?
1: I think I got to see different, meet different people in different walks of life, and it made the it made me feel like you know I'm just kind of this insignificant speck in the world, and there's just so much to discover and see. So I just became really addicted to just exploring, you know, um, new culture, people's backgrounds, and and I think that helped me become who I am today.
0: That's amazing. Now packing the bags again and landing in San Francisco in the San Francisco area. I mean. What triggered that?
1: Uh, Well, that triggered because I had met my now ex-husband in Hong Kong. And he thought, like, why not move to, he was in the tech industry, why not move to San Francisco? And and of course, knowing who I was at the time, like, oh, why not? You know, just a new place to discover. And so I moved um, to San Francisco specifically for personal reasons.
0: Now, being there in San Francisco, I think that that was uh, kind of like life changing for you, not only because you ended up going through a divorce, but then also perhaps because you were exposed to the hyper growth companies and to the entrepreneurial mindset and all of that stuff. So, so tell us a little bit more about that, uh, that journey of, 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 of really becoming a founder.
1: You catch the founder bug when you see everyone around you that has conviction and just try to build something that is going to change the world or um, something really impactful, like being able to solve a problem and build it from scratch. I just became uh, extremely passionate about that because I think growing up, my parents has tried um, a few entrepreneur, you know, journey themselves. Um, They failed in the process, but I think what my parents always told me is uh, you have to try. If you don't try, you just never know if you're going to make it. And so there was no question about it. Like I knew that I wanted to be in the space, whether I was, I don't think I thought I was going to be a founder, but I was extremely passionate about what people were building and just wanted to be involved in any way that I can.
0: So I guess the divorce definitely triggered, you know, and sparkled some ideas. So, um, you know, what what happened next then? (laughs)
1: I don't think I realized it at the time. I think it was uh, an emotional trigger. I think part of the divorce is we were married like six and a half years. The divorce impacted my credit score negatively. And that was another thing I learned about building credit in the U.S., um, being credit invisible first and then building credit and then knowing how to keep that credit after the divorce. Right. And, and that as a result, you know, I couldn't get approved for an apartment. I couldn't get access to any affordable credit. I didn't know where to go for help. It was a very vulnerable time in my life. And um, there's a lot of information online on how you can help yourself. But I think, you know, it's overwhelming at that time. And, And being able to speak to someone just like you speak to, you know, a mental health therapist would have made the world of a difference for me. And so that, you know, because I couldn't get approved for an apartment, I considered like, Oh, living in a car seemed like a pretty good option right now, but I ended up moving into everything into storage. I of course moved back home to Montreal where my parents lived. I stayed in their basement, a very humbling experience to say the least, but you know, my mom wa- welcomed me with open arms, so it was all—it was all good. But I think, for me, what felt like hitting rock bottom, um, I knew there was nowhere else to go but up, and so I couldn't believe that you know there's no way I could be alone in going through this problem. How people need access to credit, uh, the payday industry is a massive industry in the U.S. So we know they take advantage of some of the most vulnerable population in the U.S., and so i I met my he's my co-founder today and um, he was a friend from college and he he came from the lending space and specifically in like fintech and what was interesting about him is that his family used to own restaurants and every time an employee was faced with an emergency his dad found himself lending money to the employees and his dad hired a lot of immigrants so they also needed help per, about you know, their personal finances, um, recommendations on my places to live, how to build credit. And so his dad became like everyone's therapist and also lender and still running and operating a business. And my mom used to borrow from her boss also. And I knew that there was a way we could potentially solve this problem through the employer channel because, you know we knew a few use cases and then we started talking to different industries and realized that a lot of people lend money to their employees and i think a lot of it is there's no structure in place they do it because out of the goodness of their own heart and you realize that collecting that money back becomes extremely challenging and also having to go to your boss to ask for money it becomes a bit of a friction you know you feel embarrassed as an employee uh, i know my mom did and and you just, you know, but it, it becomes your last resort. So we knew that, you know, we could potentially solve all of this problem and help an employee through their employee channel.
0: So then what ended up becoming the business model of Honeybee?
1: Yeah, so fast forward to today, um, we essentially partner with employers the same way that they would pay for any benefit, like a 401k. Uh, they pay a small uh, fee per employee per month, and employees get 100% free and equal access to no cost rainy day funds. Um, That means no interest, that's 0% interest, um, no tipping, like no subscription fee. Absolutely. Um, You know, you borrow $500, you repay back $500. And we also work with the employees if they need to defer a payment, we do it at no cost. And I guarantee you, Um, If you ask anybody that has borrowed money from anyone, uh, that is unheard of. And so we wanted to make sure that they had access, regardless of their background, as long as they worked for the company. And in addition to that, I think it would have been helpful for myself, for my mom, uh, for the employees that worked for my co-founder's dad, is like making sure they had unlimited access to financial therapy in English and in Spanish. That means we look at Uh, financial therapy the same way we look at mental therapy because you know you you can look online to see how you can help yourself um, get better but there's nothing better than being able to talk to somebody we all go through very different journeys I think 72 percent of mental health issues are tied to money concerns so we wanted to create that same experience if you have difficulty with finances and you don't know where to start and you don't know you know you have so many problems that are piled up, um, you you should be able to call someone and just be able to talk to them. And they should be able to talk you through on taking the right steps to your goals. And, and also, you know, unfortunately, here in the US, actually not in Canada, either personal finances is never taught in school. Unfortunately, it is one of the most important topics that I could have benefited from. And it's always expected that parents are supposed to pass down that information to their kids. But if parents are struggling through their finances, uh, like mine was, I don't think they have time to teach you about personal finances, because they're just trying to get by. So I think we see about 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And I think there was a an article that came out recently, just a couple of weeks ago, I think about 30% of Americans have less than a thousand dollars in savings and we're about to, you know, there's an inflation happening and with combined with a potential recession, like this could be pretty detrimental for so many people. So, um, all that to say that we also have a honey Academy program where we allow employees to bring their kids to the conversation, be able to have a conversation as a family. We teach different webinars. Um, the last one we did uh, where a lot of employees brought in their kids was about student loans. And, you know, there's there's a lot to learn about student loans. It's a very big decision because student loan debt is massive in this country. And so, so yeah, so we, we teach a co- combination. We provide a combination of, like, programs and access. And we have a really holistic view into financial wellness nice. to help people, you know, better themselves.
0: And in terms of uh, pricing, I mean, how, how do you guys make money there?
1: So the the same way as like any insurance product is that employers pay a premium to get their employees covered for the program. So so that's how we that's how we make money. The employers cover for for their employees. They do not uh, provide the capital. They all they have to think about is you know the price of a coffee cup per employee per month and they get unlimited access, and there's no liability for employers as well.
0: Hey, guys. So pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process, and it's very hard, and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, in your case here, I mean, here you are in the basement in, in Montreal, working on putting this together. Why did you decide to go to Los Angeles?
1: Uh, So actually, um, I went from Montreal, we fundraised uh, myself and two co-founders, and then moved to San Francisco. So I've actually been in San Francisco for about 10 years. And the move to LA was triggered initially, it was actually before COVID. And I was in an office, our office was next to Pinterest, Airbnb, Dropbox, Uber, Twitter, you name it, we were just smack in the center. Uh, Which you think is great, but when you're trying to retain and attract talent, it is nearly impossible to compete with the budget that um, all of these companies had. So I think part of the reason why we decided to make that move is that we wanted to hire talent that was out of um, Southern California. Uh, We had already started recruiting here and just wanted to build an office out of here. But since COVID happened, we've all been remote and so actually gave us the opportunity to hire people that were all over the US and in Canada as well so i think it's been it's worked out really well for us
0: nice now in terms of um, you're alluding to it fundraising how how did you guys go about capitalizing the business
1: well i think what i learned about someone coming that was that didn't grow up in the bay area that didn't go to you know Um, Stanford specifically. And it was really difficult to fundraise because it is very night, a tight knit, like, bro club, I feel. And, and I, I partially don't blame the investors for it, because you're putting a lot of risk when you're investing in a company at an early stage. So the only thing you can go by is founders and And I nobody knew who I was. I you know, came from Montreal. Yes, I lived in the Bay Area. but other than that, um I really wasn't part of any like founders community or anything. I was just I had a problem I wanted to solve, and I needed to raise uh, capital to be able to solve it. So I think the very first time I must have spoken to about hundred and thirty investors and um just nonstop, just from you know, be able to share my story and like why we're building this. And and eventually you just need one yes. And so that's kind of got that got us the ball rolling.
0: So out of a hundred and plus, you know, uh, conversations, how did you get to that one? Yes.
1: Uh, resilience, like never giving up. I think there are times where you feel maybe this idea is stupid. And so but you just have to I think a uh, part of a founder's characteristic is having conviction and um being able to be convinced that your problem can solve a massive you know demographic and we had a t- massive target market it was I was convinced that we can change the way people looked at financial wellness and all that to be said when I started this um about in 2016 no employers was talking about financial wellness. The I remember getting on cold calls with them. And like, I don't know what that even means. And so now fast forward to 2022, employers are all looking to bulk up their benefits with what they call financial wellness. So I think I had a conviction that, you know, there was a problem that we can solve. And I think it will no longer be a nice to have but a must have as we as you know as we go back you know into the workplace and employers are trying to buckle their benefits and you're starting to see that trend already last year alone. I think Amazon Home Depot has spent a lot of money on making sure that they had financial wellness benefits for their employees
0: now in your case, how much capital have you guys raised today?
1: So we raised about like you know nearly six million in equity, and I think you know we do generate revenue. So we are a sustainable business, and I think like we don't need uh, a whole lot of capital to keep our business running.
0: So what about on the debt? Because uh, for a company like yours, you have the equity side and then also the debt side. So on the debt side, how much did you guys say uh, raise?
1: Uh, Yeah, so we raised a lot of money on the debt side, but we actually have not tapped into that credit line. So we actually have $100 million from a credit facility, uh, from a social impact fund. But because we, you know, we make like an 82% margin on our business, we don't really need that as of yet. But we have that in place in case, um, you know, we start to scale very rapidly and we need to tap into that. But otherwise, like our business model was... Was created the way it was because we knew that this was the best way to yes, you could generate revenue, you could provide no cost loans to employees, plus all the additional services as long as the employers were willing to pay for it.
0: And how how tough and complex is to deal with all the regulatory uh, frameworks and all of that stuff that perhaps you know would apply to a company like this?
1: Uh, yeah, this industry, fintech unfortunately is always highly regulated um but I think at the end of the day, when you provide no cost loans, <laughs> you know it's it's really tough to regulate that because we it is a benefit that is play i mean paid for by employers, right? So I know they are which they should be a lot of lending companies should be regulated <laughs> to be honest it is they are charging an obscene amount of interest. And I think that becomes really detrimental for the individual that's just trying to better themselves but but yes, it is highly regulated we are we follow you know all of the regulations very closely, of course, we're extremely compliant and but it's one thing it's an additional thing to always be um on top of
0: and typically, for a company like Honeybee, I mean, how did you guys go about building the team i mean what what were some of the very important key hires that you needed to make at the beginning?
1: Uh, I think some of the important hires, there's no question about it, was I needed to find people. We are willing to coach um, um, individuals that come into a company like this. And what's great about, and I feel hopeful about the next generation, is a lot of kids are coming out of college and they want to do something impactful. So they're actively seeking companies that create social impact, but also innovation. And, And so... I think what I'm seeing a lot is a lot of students coming out of school are looking for business to work for a startup with a social impact. So I'm very hopeful because a lot of people that we've hired, you know, big question I will ask them is like, have you ever, you know, had any financial setbacks? Because I think a big part of what we do, especially in sales, is understanding our customers and understanding why this product is so important. And, um, so a lot of the employees that we hired had struggled through their own financial setbacks, either themselves or their families. So they know, and they're convinced that this is a product that will change the workforce. So we look for that. And of course, I, in addition to that, um, depending what role it is, experience is really important. And, and so those are all the criteria we look for, but the number one criteria I look for in and employees and I feel like we've hired every single individual that has this characteristic is empathy.
0: And as a female founder, you know, obviously, you know, you were alluding to it, you know, the 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 bros uh, club that you have on the on the fundraising side. Uh what, what what have you learned because I'm I'm sure that there's a lot of female founders that are that are listening to us right now and and that are wondering like how they should go about building their network or leveraging their network to be able to gain access to more capital or to understand the journey ahead i mean what kind of advice would you share with them as to how perhaps you know like they can use or 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 rely on other female founders that you know are, are really inclined to help uh, one another to really thrive uh, well
1: there's no question about it like you said uh there's a massive gender gap in like uh, venture capital and female founders only secured about like 2% of VC money in last year in 2021. So that that is uh, that number is very small. So I think there are ways to go in like funding female founders, but I think a big part of it is what helped me a lot is uh, there's a lot of things we don't know, right? So I was so curious about strategies that my friends used they were all male founders that had raised um, massive amounts of capital and so they gave me a lot of advice they became you know my friends my mentor and I would I would practice pitch with them and they would give me feedback because some of the struggle that I went through at the very beginning is what a lot of um, people told me is like I wasn't dreaming I wasn't dreaming big enough like dream big. <laughs> I think I was dreaming like big but also realistic like what can I actually get to in about a year or two. But what they would always tell me is I got to dream big, you know. And and I had female investors tell me that as well. So I learned a lot from other people. So the one advice I would give is um look at founder communities you can be part of like whether it's female founders or male founders um I think I got to where I am today because of a lot of male founders that got, they gave me a lot of advice, um, use them as your allies and, you know, obviously they're successful at what they do. And then through that, you'll be able to meet other successful female founders that will give you tip on like what helped them. Um, and so it's always inspiring for me to see female founders that was able to raise massive rounds of capital while raising three kids. Uh, that is, you know, and being like pregnant and giving birth, like that is something male founders will never have to go through and in that process. So I think I was so inspired by the resilience, um, tenacity of so many female founders that, you know, that's why, you know, I, I am where I am today. So the advice I would give is, um, you know, like find founders and, um, people are willing to help. People are always willing to help, especially founders, because they've all been through this a very tough journey.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Definitely tough. Not what you read on the press. It's not that, uh, not that glamorous, I would say. So I yeah. guess, uh, you know, one question here that comes to mind is, imagine you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of Honeybee is fully realized. What does that world look like?
1: That world uh, essentially looks like... Every working American would have access to financial wellness programs. So what that means for me is that you know there's there's a lot of fintech companies that are like lending companies. I mean, lending money to employees. But the one thing I keep in mind, and I tell every employer to keep in mind, is that you know if it's um, free for you as the employer, somebody's making money. And that's they have to generate revenue. They generate revenue from the employees that actually are really struggling. And sometimes it can go up to 200% APR and it still looks social impactful. And I think it is. we have to be very careful with that. And so what I only hope for is that every working American can get access to no-cost rainy day funds And as well as the help they need to better themselves, we already see tremendous impact um, out of our own clients. 89% of our users are people of color and mostly women. So we did a study with Washington University in St. Louis um, to collect data from our users. And it didn't surprise me at all that the majority of them came from low-middle-income communities. And and I think that's where we have to start to, you know, better this country. And especially as we're, you know, dealing with inflation right now, um, a lot of people are panicking and the recession.
0: Yeah, no okay, com- kidding, okay. okay. already here. <laughs> yep. Now, imagine I put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, you know, maybe to that moment that that you were thinking about doing something. You know, you were mm-hmm. contagious there in San Francisco, ideas left and right. Imagine you were able to have a sit down with your younger self, with that uh, younger any, and uh, share with your younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: Oh, I know so much more than I did when I started Honeybee. I think I, I understand partially, I empathize with VCs and investors that always look for second, third time founders because. We, as first-time founders, you make a lot of mistakes. And I think I could have (laughs) fast-forward through all of that and build it faster and with with probably less money. And I think there's so many lessons I could have learned about hiring, about building culture, about um, the B2B sales process about um, product market fit, target market, <laughs> like, all of the above, like building a better business model with great margins. Yeah, I think like all of the above. Everything I know today is because it was a very, you know, uh, lengthy learning process for me and expensive learning process, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> I hear you. Now, for the people that are listening, uh, for, for those that want to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for doing so?
1: Yeah. So I have a Twitter handle at Annie Lim, and that's E-N-N-I-E-L-I-M. Or uh, if you want to visit our website, it's meethoneybee.com. That's M-E-E-T-Honeybee.com.
0: Amazing. Well, hey, Annie, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers Podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.